words. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have. So when Paul first came to Philippi, he was arrested and beaten. He was put into prison, and he was persecuted simply because of what he believed. And he's writing to the Philippians, as you remember, from a prison cell where he was unjustly being held again for his faith. The Philippians themselves were now not just uh, spectators to Paul's sufferings, but they were experiencing the same kinds of things themselves. So Paul wants to encourage them. He wants to fortify them. And so he reminds them of who they are in the beginning of verse 27. Whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that phrase, whatever happens in the NIV, translates just one word in the Greek, and that word is only. And what Paul's saying here is, whatever happens, the most important thing is, or what you need to get right is to live, and it's implied to even die like a Christian, because that's who you really are. Can we read those words, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, and it makes sense to us, makes good sense in what Paul wrote. The Greek actually reads, live as citizens of the gospel. It was a semi-technical term, uh, and it spoke about the privileges and responsibilities of being a citizen of the Roman Empire. The Philippians were. They were Roman citizens, a Roman colony, and they were, they were proud of it. And, and when they heard those words, they would have heard them this way. They would have heard Paul saying, you are to live as citizens of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And just as you've lived as a good citizen of Rome, fulfilling your duties there, so you should live as a good citizen of the kingdom of Christ. And to us, that means that we ought to, whatever situation we find ourselves, we ought to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you put your faith in him, let me ask you that. Have you, have you come to him for forgiveness of your sins? If you have sinned, you know. <laughs> Everyone here has. Everyone everywhere throughout time, with the exception of Jesus, has sinned. That is, we've all done things we shouldn't have done, and we've all not done things we should have done. The Bible calls that sin. And the wages of sin, and this is not my personal opinion, you understand, this is what God says, the wages of sin is death. And that's not just a physical death, but eternal death. It's eternal separation from God, in whom is everything good, whom to be apart from, by the very definition, means to be in hell. Our situation is desperate not only have we sinned, we cannot undo even one of our sins. Not even the smallest one. Though we can make restitution, we can feel sorry about it, we can feel the weight of guilt. It's simply not in our power to make it as if it never happened. 
not only is that so, but you know you cannot stop sinning. I can't stop sinning. No matter how hard we try. I know. I know that most people think that that they really could stop. They really think, you know, if I made up my mind, if I just got it in my head, made up my mind, I I wouldn't sin anymore and I could stop sinning, but you can't do it. And, and it's when you try, when you really try, that you begin to understand that you can't stop sinning. You're a sinner by nature and that's what you do. Nothing you can do. Nothing can change that fact, not good works, not church attendance, not getting baptized, not going to church. You cannot lift yourselves up by your own bootstraps. I know that's a saying in our culture. It means you gave yourself a start when no one else has. But you think about that. You cannot lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. You cannot save yourself. It's simply folly to think that you can. There's only one answer for anyone. There's only one way anyone can be saved, and that's to have our sins forgiven, to be made as though we had never sinned. And that happens when and only when we have put our trust in Christ. You see, he died in our place on that cross to save us from our sins. And I have to tell you, if you're here this morning and you, you've never done that, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm not even sure what he's talking about, then the most important thing in front of you right now, you can forget everything else that I have to say. But if you know that you've sinned, and if you believe that on that cross, Christ died for you, then right there in that seat, right where you're sitting, you can ask him to forgive you. You can tell him you know you're a sinner. You can confess that you believe that he died for you. And if you do that and you mean that on the authority of God's word, I can tell you that you will indeed be forgiven and your sins will never be held against you. And when the time comes, you will go home to be with the Lord. But if you're here today and you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, then you belong to him. He saved us and we're his. And we ought to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We ought to live as the citizens of the kingdom. And so Paul goes on to tell us what that looks like, uh, at least the foundations of it. There's more to it than what he says in these verses. But everything else kind of builds on what he says next. And there are three things that he tells us about living a life worthy of the faith. And we're going to look at each of those briefly, one at a time. And the first thing that Paul tells us that we need to do if we're to live such a life is we ought to stand firmly as one family, the family of God. And we pick up uh, uh, the text again at the beginning of verse 27. We read, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. You see, Paul wasn't sure he was going to be able to see the Philippians again or not. He was in prison. He was awaiting his sentence. And it was possible he'd be set free or he might receive the death penalty. But the Philippians were in a tough place. 
Paul wanted to be sure that they were going to be okay, whether he came to see them or only heard about them when he was absent. So he tells them to live as citizens of the kingdom, which means first to stand firm as a family. That's pretty much what Paul means when he says standing firm in one spirit, the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we're united as one family in Christ, and we need to stand firm in that. And maybe if you think about your own immediate family, you can get some idea of what's going on here, what Paul's getting at. See, most of us, we love our family, even when we don't always see eye to eye. Sometimes they do things which upset us, but we still love them. Our, our children, our wives, our husbands, our parents, well, they, they can get to us sometimes. We may get angry, or we, they may make us sad or frustrated, and sometimes we just don't understand them, but we love them. See, see we're going to stand with them. Sometimes we might complain about them, though we really shouldn't. You know that as believers, we really shouldn't. Philippians tells us to do all things without complaining or arguing, though we may be blameless and pure children of God. But we do. But we don't want someone else to say something bad about them, do them. It's because we stand together. And that's what Paul wants from us as believers, the people in this room. that you belong to Christ. He died for you. And he's at work in your life just as he's at work in mine. So if you want to live a life that's worthy uh, of the gospel of Christ, then you need to understand that every Christian is your brother or sister, especially those in this place here, in this church where God has placed you, and you need to stand firm in one spirit. I have to say this, you know, if, if you have an issue with a family member here, I'm talking about a church member because you're forced to do it when you live in the same house with someone. But if you have a, an issue with a family member here, then, then you need to get that right. You need to make it right. And, and maybe the way that starts for you is talking with someone else about it. Uh, I don't mean gossiping. I mean going to someone for some godly advice. Maybe you just don't know where you should begin with the person. Or maybe you're afraid that you'll make a mess out of trying to make amends. Maybe the person you're afraid won't receive it from you. But ultimately, I have to tell you, you're responsible for the things that's in your heart. And so you need to live a life worthy of the kingdom. And it starts by standing firm in one spirit with your brothers and sisters. And that's us right here in this room. It extends beyond, but here's where it takes on reality in our own lives. The second thing that we ought to do, which forms this foundation of living a worthy life, is also found in verse 27, so I'm going to read the whole thing this time. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come to you and or only hear about you in my absence, 
I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. See, we're to work together to advance Christ's kingdom. And I want to give you a small uh, but important uh, example of how that works out. Two weeks from now, you heard about it this morning, we'll have our VBS. Uh, It'll be in the evenings, and it's going to be Monday through Friday. And on Sunday of that week, we're going to have our church picnic. We're going to have baptism. And we're going to have our closing VBS program at Conquest Beach. Jamie Brown, as you know, is heading that up, and uh, yet she can't do it alone. She has to have lots of help, and we know she does. And maybe she needs a little bit more. Maybe you can come, even if you're not signed up, and and be a part of what's going on there. And along with VBS, there's also something for the older kids. VBS is for the younger ones, for the ones that are a little bit older. There's something, and so... We have a time for them also with Brian and Linda Burnell, along with Dave and Patria as they're able with Little Ivy, are going to be heading that up. Maybe there are others that I'm not aware of. Sunday, Jim is making sure that everything is ready at the beach, and he has some help. Brian Hahn is going to be cooking that day, and that's going to be a real treat. Maybe Jim needs more help. I don't know, but I know some have already offered. You see, for that week, what's going to be happening is we're going to operate as a team. No one can do that alone. We just can't. We need one another. And that's just one week. It's a big week, yes, but it represents what happens here all the time. Sometimes in big, but more often in smaller ways. You know, our job, if I can put it this way, is to advance the kingdom of Christ, or as Paul says it here, to strive together as one for the faith. And we don't do that alone. I mean, there are some things as Christians we do alone, but even those things we do alone, we find the strength and the encouragement and the direction in our lives through our relationship with one another. Now, maybe you aren't. (laughs) Maybe you're not involved in BBS. Well, that's okay. Not everyone has cut out for it. Not everyone has the same task or gifts or calling. Uh, Maybe you're going to be away that week. The real question is not whether you're involved with VBS, but how are you advancing God's kingdom? You see, you're part of our family, and you need to do your part. Living a life worthy of the gospel is living as citizens of the kingdom. It's built on the foundation of standing firm as members of the same family and working, striving together, fighting side by side to advance God's kingdom. Now there's one more thing which Paul mentions which makes up the other part of a good foundation so that we can live this worthy life we're talking about. And and it's a little more difficult for us to understand, for we're not in the same place that the Philippians were in or others of our extended family in other parts of the world today. You see, we're not being persecuted the way the Philippians were. Uh, It's beginning here. I I understand that. Uh, It's beginning here in our nation. But most of us haven't really experienced it to any great degree. For most of us, We'll have only a hint of what Paul is getting at here. But he tells us that we shouldn't be afraid of anyone or anything. 
Now, what he's left unsaid here is the truth that we ought to fear God and God only. But we're not to be afraid of anyone or anything else. Paul puts it this way in verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So Philippians are facing pretty severe persecution. And Paul's telling them not to be afraid at all or in any way at all. And that seems to us, I think, to be, well, maybe impossible. But the truth is, none of us starts here. But by the grace of God, we can get there. Not, not you and I. You understand that. Not yet. Because that grace is only given to those who need it when they need it. But you can be sure, if you ever find yourself in such a place, you, you'll find God standing right there by your side, giving you the peace that passes but for most of us here and now, something smaller has to do. You see, that fearlessness that Paul was talking about here begins with a willingness to stand for the truth and to share the gospel with other people. And if we can do that, then God has something to work with. And if we ever find ourselves in that course God's going to take us through it anyway but if you do that much you'll be that much further along already but you're already a child of the king so you need to be working on this part of the foundation as well which for us starts with a willingness so you can live that worthy life of the gospel so for us the willingness has to be there but it also means something else it also means that we ought to have a kind of confidence uh, that God really is in control of things. And we see that from the rest of the verse. The fearlessness, or in our case, a willingness to share the good news, becomes a sort of sign to those on the outside. And so we read this. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and that by God. See, our confidence in God, that he's in control, means we know there's a reason for what's happening in our lives. In the case of the Philippians, their fearlessness was a sign. That is, it pointed people, those on the outside of the faith, it pointed them to the truth. That's what God's signs always do. They point people to the truth. It was a dramatic portrayal to those on the outside of what it means to be a believer and what it will mean to those who are not believers. And there would be, as there always has been, as it was in the life of Paul itself, as it's happening all over our world around us today in places where Christians are not only living for Christ but dying for him, many people, even of the persecutors, come to Christ to find salvation. For the believer, that makes it all worthwhile to see people coming to Christ and being saved. That's why Paul said what he did in verse 29, which we read at the beginning. He said, it's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer you know, we get to a place in our life. It's possible to get to a place in our life 
and I hope most of you are there, where, where you say in your heart that you're willing to pay any price, whatever that price is, if it means people who come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, for us, knowing that God is in control, it, it, it means smaller things. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of inviting someone to church and this particular person you've invited says, yeah, they're going to come and, and their complaint about the church is always, all they ever want is my money. And so you invite them and you're excited that they're coming to church. And, and your pastor never preaches about money, right? And that one Sunday, that Sunday, when that person comes, that's a Sunday the pastor decides to preach on. Or, or maybe you invited this friend of yours, and that morning there's a guest speaker, and you, you're listening to this guy, and you feel like, gosh, what a flop this is. Or you bring him to some event, and the entire time you're thinking, this is terrible. They're not getting anything out of it. It's driving them away. You know, when those things happen, we need to remember something. God is in Control, and he wasn't surprised by any of it. He wasn't surprised by the topic or the speaker or your disappointment or the event. And he brought that person there. And you know, when you understand that, something happens to you. You become confident. You, you, you're not worried about what's happening. You become confident, and that confidence that you have points that man or that woman or that child to the truth, to something beyond themselves. No one would deliberately take something into something they thought was going to be bad, but it doesn't even really matter if it was bad. Your confidence becomes a sign to them, and it can help them on their way to salvation. You see, living a life worthy of the gospel means it's a it's built on the foundation of standing as Christians in the family of God. It's working together to advance the kingdom and living a fearless, or at least for us, willing life while we have confidence that God really is in control. That's who we are. That's who the Philippians are being reminded that they are. There's an episode in the third book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy where the young hobbit, Mary Duck, uh, Brandy Buck, is laying on the battlefield. Uh, King Theoden, his liege lord, uh, who became a father to him, if only for a short while, has fallen in battle, struck down by the king of the ring waste very presence freezes men's blood and fear. Mary's next to Theoden. Beside them, still standing, is Theoden's daughter, Eowyn, who entered the battle disguised as Durnhelm, and she stayed by her aged father's side through it all, though he didn't even know she was there. Her sword is drawn, and she stands there, and she defends the body of her father from further desecration by the ring wraith. And at the confrontation between her and that nameless evil unfolds, Mary is on the ground.
ground ignored by all and frozen by fear, almost afraid even to bring. But he loved that old man. And he kept saying to himself over and over again, King's man, King's man, I'm the King's man. And he took heart in who he was. He was Merodach of the Shire. Sword train of the Odin king. He was the king's man. And just before the monster attacked again, he rose up and struck it with the blade of the west, and cutting the ligaments of that ghostly knee, providing the opportunity so Eowyn, daughter of the Odin, could slay him. Mary and Merodach were almost lost to the shadows, but ultimately they both survived. That scene is such a powerful reminder that we are who we are and what we are determines what we do. Just as he married that Randy Buck was a king's man. You know, Mary is one of the main characters in the book, but um, but in the same sense as we are in this life on the battlefield and throughout the book he was just a small part of a greater story it was important and not important at the same time but his part made all the difference in the outcome of that story and he couldn't have done it alone see Christ died for you and for me and we're both so important and so Christ died for you, for me. And the part that God gives each one of us to play matters. It matters. What makes a difference in doing our part is remembering who we are. So let me ask you this. Are you the king's man or are you the king's woman? Do you know who you are? Who you really are? Because who you are makes a difference in what you do. And what you do matters. Now, Not because of any good thing any one of us have ever done. Not because we deserve it. Not because we try to be good. Not because we come to church or have been baptized or know the Bible, know this thing and that. But because of your great love, because of your grace, we belong to you. We who put our faith in Jesus on that cross belong to you. Help us, Lord.